So as we gather today, uh, for those of you who are joining us a little bit later, uh, we're going to kind of wrap up our sermon series titled The Story, uh, where we explore God's grand narrative that he's been planning from the beginning of the universe um, till its very end. So as we do gather today and as we do look at the story, uh, we're going to kind of wrap it up uh, by looking at the very end, where we see an image of a paradise restored. And I was, as I was thinking about themes or ideas of restoration and renewal, um, I couldn't help but to think of America's hit TV show, Extreme Hope Makeover, uh, which ran in the early 2000s. Um, and in that show, you'd always be given this tour of this house, which was sometimes in a pretty dilapidated condition, or it was just families who were going through hardship of some kind, and these producers wanted to show them a, a demonstration of love, a demonstration of, of renewal. And so throughout the shows, the producers, they would get to know the interests or the hobbies of all the individuals in the family so that they could tailor, make this house specifically for them. Uh, but the best parts of the show, of course, was the end, right? It was the big reveal. And so you'd see the family kind of being driven back to their house in a limo, and they would stand behind this pretty much like ginormous truck um, so that their eyes would not be able to see the house behind the truck. And the fact that the house was hidden from their view, it, it added such a tremendous amount of anticipation for these families as they're thinking like, oh my goodness, what must, what must my house look like now? And so when the, uh, when the truck was finally moved, and the proverbial curtain was dropped, the house was always beyond their wildest imagination. It was the same house that they lived in, but it was changed to such a point that you might as well just call it new. Everything from the floor to the ceiling changed, and as the family would tour throughout the house, you would often see them crying tears of joy as they realize, like, this is my new kitchen. This is, this is my new living room. This is going to be my new life. This is now my new reality that I'm going to live for the rest of my life. And I think one of the reasons why these types of shows, the extreme home makeovers, why they're so successful is because it speaks to something deep within our human hearts, where we as well, we seek similar themes of renewal, or restoration. I don't know how many times I would watch Extreme Home Makeover, and I would think like, man, if, if only that could happen to me, right? If only, if only all this change could happen in my life, if my house was renovated. That on a very base level, I think the vast majority of humanity, they live with this nagging feeling of discontent concerning their current condition. And this discontent might be caused by genuine catastrophe, a death in the family, natural disasters, or just a simple feeling of incompleteness. Uh, that life, although for all intents and purposes is comfortable, there just seems to be that, hmm, that's something that's missing. That's something that we just can't put our words into. And so in today's passage, we see not just the renewal or the renovation of a house, but we actually see the renovation of the cosmos as a whole, and it kind of answers what that missing thing in our life actually is, where we're going to see not just a shift in reality for a single family, but we're going to see a shift in reality for all people and all things. So let's take a look at that in our passage today, which comes from Revelations chapter 21, verses 1 to 8. 
And as I read through this, you might, you might think, wow, this sounds familiar. We just read this. Um, the author, John, actually quotes um, our scripture reading today that the Louis family read. So hear this word from the Lord today. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. If you guys remember Exodus, that's straight out of Exodus. He'll wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Write this down for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Straight out of Genesis in the Garden of Eden. Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, and those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. And that is the second death. Before we talk about renewal itself, I think it's important for us to discuss, well, why should we be talking about the end of the world in the first place, right? What, like, what a bizarre topic to, to discuss. And one of the reasons why we should be talking about the end of the world um, is that it actually reveals the whole point of the story to begin with. That in order to understand the Bible, we have to actually first understand how it ends. Or actually, if I state this a little more accurately, if we're to understand the Bible completely, we have to understand how it ends. And by understanding how the Bible ends, everything before it begins to make sense. We begin to understand why God acts the way he does. We understand why God values the things that he holds dear. We see the reason why Christ came into the world in the flesh to die and to be resurrected in a human body. And so how, do all, how, how does the end reveal all these things about God? Well, if we look at our own lives for a moment, we're all actually future-oriented people. Um, you might have heard it said that, or you might have been taught to live in the present moment, right? After all, tomorrow can worry about itself. But the thing is, without a future, we actually have no idea of how to live in the present. See, the thing is, we all have goals that we strive for, and based on these goals, it informs our actions, our values, and our attitudes. So for example, if your goal is to make sure you have enough money in your retirement accounts, that might influence your present day spending habits when you go to the grocery store, it might influence your present day vacation choices that you might make, I'll influence what jobs you might think are better than others. It will also influence what you think it means to live a fulfilling life, what it means to have security in life. Or if your goal is to be kingdom-minded, that also influences how you live your present life. 
It influences how you interact with other people. It influences how you live your life as you put holiness, justice, honesty, and righteousness as your top priority values. It shapes how you spend your money or your free time. and also shapes, ultimately, what you believe brings you joy and fulfillment in life. And so if you look at your goals, if you look into the future, they actually immediately reveal what you value, what your attitudes are in, in, towards certain things, and how you act in the present world. And so when we turn our eyes to the book of Revelation, and we look at the promises of a renewed earth and a renewed humanity, we begin to see that the entirety of Scripture begins to make sense. Just like how when you assemble a jigsaw puzzle, right, you would always look at the final product in the front of the box just to make sure, like, okay, I know where each piece goes, right? Otherwise, if you, if you kind of throw that out, you kind of assemble it however you want, and you just end up with this chaotic mess. So when we look at the end picture, when we read Scripture with the end in mind, we see the reasons for why God acts the way he does, why he values the things he does, and why he has certain attitudes towards certain things, towards the world around us and also towards ourselves as humans. When we keep in mind God's final goal to renew humanity and creation, we understand why God raised up Abraham to be a blessing to all nations. We understand what it means to be a blessing to all nations, right? We understand that's not blessing in the, in the sense of economic prosperity, but a blessing in the sense of drawing all people back into a proper relationship with God in order to be renewed. And so as we do our daily scripture reading, I think it's always appropriate to read it with the future in mind, as it's the future that actually shows us what God values and what God cherishes. It, is, uh, it shows God's top priorities in renewing the entirety of his creation and it reveals to us that God acts in the present world to move creation closer and closer to its ultimate fulfillment. It shows us that God desires to fellowship with us once again, just as he did prior. But the question is, and something I'm often asked by my friends at least, well, what exactly does this renewal look like? And it's at this point that I actually do have to offer a word of caution. Um, scripture never offers an extensively complete detailed view of what total renewal looks like. Uh, in fact, the Apostle Paul, he, he warns us by saying that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. But the thing is, we do know enough to speak of certain things, certain things with clarity. And one of the things that we know is certain is a promise of a renewed humanity. And when it comes to a renewed humanity, I think there are certain uh, Christian myths, for lack of a better term, uh, that we kind of have to debunk. And it all comes back to the idea of our goals, again, or the future-oriented mind. And often in some Christian circles, when people talk about the end goal of their lives, where their story ends is in heaven, eternally. That when Christians talk about spending eternity with the Lord, it's always with this image of them existing as some sort of disembodied spirit, just like floating around the world in some spiritual far-off place beyond this physical universe, right? This place that we would call heaven. But the thing is, that's actually not the case, biblically speaking. That's actually not the end goal. If we look at the beginning 
of creation. We see that God's intended form for all humans is to be embodied in flesh. We're not made to be spirits like angels. We were meant to be the living embodiment of God in the world. We are the images of God made flesh. And that is who we were originally designed to be. And one of the reasons why death is so unnatural for the human condition isn't just because death is something that is contrary to God or contrary to life. One of the reasons why death is so unnatural is because it rips apart God's intention for humanity as bodied people living in the flesh. If the intended form of humanity is to live as body and soul, then death is an assault on God's original design for humanity, where we literally become ripped apart, where we literally become disembodied, where God's design for humanity is destroyed and literally spat upon. And so when we look at our goal, it's actually short-sighted to say heaven. Our end goal is not to live as spirits in some other dimension of reality. Rather, if we're to learn anything from Christ's resurrection, we're to understand that our end goal is to be made flesh once again, to be whole as a living and breathing human being made both of flesh and soul, to once again embody the intended form of humanity, but this time with physical bodies that do not decay. And so this is actually what you see Jesus do in his ministry throughout Israel. One of the hallmarks of Jesus' ministries was healing. And certainly I would agree that Jesus probably healed out of compassion for those who are suffering, that Jesus actually demonstrated love to those who, who are suffering. But the true goal of the healing was to demonstrate that salvation also means the return of health. The removal of sins, of course, incredibly important, but tied into that salvation hope is the restoration of the body, the full healing of the body. That to be made whole is to be healed both in our souls and our flesh. And so as Jesus walked throughout Israel, sometimes he wouldn't preach, he wouldn't say a word. Sometimes he would only heal in order to give people a foretaste of what true salvation is like as they received the restoration of their bodies. And so Christianity, the end goal, is actually not an escape from the body, but it's actually a renewal, a restoration, an extreme makeover of your body. And so this is actually what makes the Christian religion actually incredibly unique. Uh, If we preach to people a message where we are disembodied souls flying around in an alternate dimension, that's actually, that's unfortunately not the full gospel. The full gospel message isn't that once we die, we get to live forever in some far off place. That's the message of most other religions. But the final hope for Christians is the full resurrection of the human body, that after we die, we eagerly wait in anticipation where we can once again enjoy life in this world. And normally, the reaction I get from my friends when I tell them, you get to live again back in this world, they kind of look at me like I'm crazy. Um, And they look at me like I'm crazy, not because of the resurrection aspect. I mean, that's crazy enough. But more accurately, they they think that that I'm crazy because in their minds, you know, they're thinking like, why why would I want to be resurrected back in this world? 
And, you know, in their minds, they've experienced so much suffering in this world. And so the question is, why in the world would I want to come back? And the thing is, I think most people are okay with the abstract idea of heaven, right, of a place where there's supposedly no evil. But when it comes back to living back in this world, it feels more like a place that you want to escape than you want to be put back into. And I think many people resonate with this. But the thing is, the gospel message actually does not stop with a renewed humanity, but it also goes further than that by speaking of a renewed creation. And the idea of a renewed creation is such a necessary part of the gospel message because it shows that all things, all living and all non-living things, falls under the reign and the rule of God, even during their rebellion. Since many Christians, they, they believe that they will spend eternity in, in some other dimension called heaven, they have what is called an escapist theology, that their final goal or their final, final salvation is to escape, escape this awful world filled with sin, and that God would welcome them home permanently in, in some other dimension. And the thing is, honestly, personally, I can understand this appeal, right? The world is cruel, the world is unfair, it's obviously filled with all things evil, but there's a huge problem with an escapist theology, where we just try to escape this world. The problem with an escapist theology is that it portrays a God who is too weak, a God who is too weak to defeat the powers of sin and death. It offers a picture of a God who, when faced with evil and sin, would rather run away, start a new colony in a safe place, far away from the corruption of his original creation. But that's not the God we worship, right? The God we worship does not run away from sin and evil, but he actually enters into the midst of it. As we celebrate the Advent season, as we celebrate Christ's coming, this is the message that we get. We observe Christ's life and we see that Christ enters into a sinful and evil world. He suffers and dies at the hand of evil. But the beautiful message is that on the third day, he was resurrected, and both the sin and death were defeated forevermore. And with the defeat of the enemy, the flag of God's kingdom was planted into this world as it slowly spread throughout all of God's creation, renewing and redeeming everything it touched until one day, the only thing that's left in this world is God's perfectly good kingdom. And since it's Advent, and hopefully one day we'll sing joy to the world, the author of that song, Isaac Watts, he actually writes perhaps one of the most accurate and one of the most beautiful lines of theology when he says, No more lets sin and sorrow grow, nor thorns infest the ground. For he comes to make his blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And that is the radical message of the gospel. Not just that we live forever, but the truly radical message of the gospel is that God will confront the powers of sin and evil that exist in this world and totally eradicate it, just as he did 2,000 years ago. We worship a God who does not run away from the enemy, but will fight him, triumph over him, 
and God will ultimately take claim of everything he has created in order to bring the entire universe back into wholeness, to renew it, to restore it, to let his kingdom come on earth as it already has in heaven. That is the full gospel story that actually inspires hope. And so when we look beyond just the restoration of ourselves, but witness and hope for the restoration of everything, right? For the restoration of our families, of our nation, of our world, we begin to understand God's all-encompassing renewal, to see God's blessing flow like a river as far as the curse is found, and to bring life and resurrection into a dying world. That is the hope of the gospel. And so, brothers and sisters, as we start our Advent season today, where we celebrate the anticipation of Christ's birth, uh, we also acknowledge that this is the season where we anticipate his return as well, where we anticipate the full gospel message that we indeed will meet with our loved ones in a new imperishable body, in a new world where there will be no longer any corruption, any weakness, dishonor, any death, tears, mourning, crying, or pain, for the old order of things will pass away, and he who sits on the throne will make all things new. But until that day comes, why don't we come together in prayer for now? So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you, you indeed are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end, and today as we finish our sermon series, we, we've seen the beginning and the end of your story. We see the future that awaits us, and all our hearts can really say is, come, Lord Jesus, come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But until the day of your arrival, our, our hearts, honestly, we're, we're all deeply troubled, for we know that not all are saved, not, not everyone will accept you. And so we pray today on their behalf that they will come to know the joy of salvation and the hope that is found in your gospel message of total and absolute renewal. So we pray, Father, that, we pray, Father, that you will strengthen our hearts and our hands, give us the words to speak until the day you come. We praise you and we worship you. In your most precious son's name we pray. Amen. <laughs>